Another Crash Chords podcast. I'm Matt. I'm John. I'm Steve. Oh, nice that little groove. That's what you did. Yeah, you I did. I know. Are full of way too so much you had to equip- copycat. You had to you copycat just- the funk. Yeah, so much of course you would. Yeah, of course you. What would. else would Slow I copycat? Down. Get back to my level. Come on. Oh, you're in that mood. I'm in that kind of a mood. All right. All coffee right. really hasn't kicked in very well. Are you even drinking coffee? Actually, it's uh, Irish breakfast tea. Oh, that one's decaffeinated. So, oh, what, dude? You... I grabbed it because I thought it was caffeine-filled. Nope. What have you become? That's okay. There's still caffeine in it. Um, if you are listening to this on the day it came out, which is Friday, uh, February nineteenth, um, it is two days past Steve's birthday. Yeah. So, how old are you going to be now? Eighty-seven. Eighty-eight. I was going to say eighty-six. You should have yeah. at least said 82 to invert the numbers. <laughs> That's true. So you'll be 28 yeah. with the soul of an 82-year-old. Yes, of course. <laughs> you know. Just out of curiosity. I, I would really Don't wonder wait. what most people actually think my age is based on this, this entire series. Right? I, I have a question. Do your knees creak yet? Um, yes, this year, in fact, I've, I've uh, began experiencing the first knee problems. And you know they always say, the knees are the first to go. That's true. Are you kidding me? So yeah, I can only presume we've... I'm at the beginning of this cascade. I mean, I would say it's the mind that's the first to go, but yours is gone, so. <sighs> Actually, he's sharper than the two of us put together. That's true, but that's not really saying much. Yeah, I know. He uses it for puns. And who yeah. does that? I guess it's all fair game, because this is post-birthday, right? Yeah. Well, by the time they're listening. Quote, unquote. <laughs> quote, unquote. Big quotes. Uh, Heavy quotes. Dated, thick quotes. Dated content. Okay. Yay. Anyway, um, so a pre-slash-post-happy-birthday-Steve. Um, feel free to, you know, email him at steve.nagel at crashchords.com. All your birthday wishes. Harass me. Whatever you want. Really. It's very good. <laughs> Um, so, and also, timely enough, since your birthday is this week, you also brought us our pick this week. I did indeed. Considering that last week I gave Franz Ferdinand Sparks uh, the collaboration, which was brought to us by Mark H., an exceptionally high rating because it was, after all, the most cohesive pop rock album I've heard in a long time. I'll be honest, uh, for this, I just wanted to pull us in a different direction. I, I didn't expect to top it, I didn't really expect to do anything. So I did some browsing, and without snooping too much, I was whisked away by a caption more than anything. A caption from the artist's label concerning his previous album, I believe. And it reads, Welcome to the world of Lord Raja, a strange, sometimes perilous alternate dimension, with beauty and decay in equal measure. It's a world built on the beat-centric music which flows from New York native Chester Raj Anand's stream of consciousness. Here, classic hip-hop is spliced into vintage IDM, ambient footwork, and experimental sound design. Uh, anybody, anyone have any just reactions on that? Well, I, mean, I did kind of read it at the end of last you week. You did, but, and but I... Now you know what it is, so... Would it entice know. you in the same way it enticed me? No. 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 IDM. It's a shame. Well, that's really strange that you would say that, John, because you, after all, did bring us uh, Solon's Ark by Kang Ding Ray back in episode 133, and I believe it had a much, much more advanced promotion to it. I believe but. you called it a Metro Modern Art piece. Yes, I, I still like that. <laughs> it's one of my best word plays yeah, to date. Okay. The thing about IDM, and this is sort of a 
this is me just being bigoted towards it because there's a lot of really bad IDM because a lot of musicians who produce it rely upon the word intelligent, intelligence, the idea of everything has to fit mathematically. And I love math. I really, really do. But drones are the biggest thing that ha comes out of IDM. And I am not a big fan of droning in my electronica. Well, we don't necessarily get this. We get a variety of things. Um, and since we're all new to the artist, uh, clearly, I'll fill in some gaps about the artist just by reading some excerpts from his bio, uh, which is also found on the label's website. The label, by the way, is called Ghostly International. So this is uh, just a quick bio on Chester Rajanand. The first song that Chester Rajanand, better known as Lord Raja, ever produced was for his brother. When he was six years old, Raja's brother taught him how to use acid and fruity lutes, popular programs, and Raja would compose beats for his older sibling to rap over. We listened to hip-hop growing up, Raja explains. He's five years older than me, and he definitely introduced me to a lot of music. But when he left for college, I started establishing my own sound. Working from his love of really raw, scary Aphex Twin, which is how he describes it, and we did uh, review Aphex Twin back in episode 126, as well as his background in piano, keyboard, and jazz percussion, Raja composed songs in his basement on a custom computer, eventually releasing Intonations Music for Primordial Recollection under the name Infinity Rock on Asthmatic Kitty in 2011, which, by the way, is the label that was founded by Sufjan Stevens. Uh, he took on the name Raja while studying at SUNY Purchase and released a series of songs leading up to Halloween. I wanted to make songs that sounded like visuals, he said. Help take people somewhere bigger than their standard headspace. Whatever that means, but, but I guess we all do have our own preconceptions of things, and that could be called our standard headspace going into something, and then he wants to take us bigger. He wants, us, he wants to actually let you see something through the music. Such as my preconceived idea of what IDM produces. Well, not necessarily, because you were talking more about the mathematical, and it seems that that's not really his goal in the slightest. His goal is to have people see things, and, and to put them in a setting, and, and I appreciate that. for It's more, it's more artistic-focused than mathematically-focused. So uh, that identity, uh, further down the line here, is defined even further on 2015's Para, which Raja describes as my most successful attempt at making a consistent work. Every, so every song on Para makes use of Raja's Lexicon PCM90 and an Eventide H3000 that he modified himself to get the effects that he heard in his head. So that's how we ended up with what we're doing today, Para 2015. Um, and now we at least know how it's made. How do you take it? How do we take it? Well, we can just go by the numbers here. Start off with track one, stars, parenthesis, the intro. It, it's a little odd, and I know we've come across this times before, but I always wonder the choice to label specifically the intro track, intro, and give it a name. Well, not just intro, but also tracks that are labeled things like interlude or ending or things like it's 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 setting you up to just think of a certain thing. And I uh, just from my point of view, I don't like that. Um, see, that doesn't bother me in, uh, as much at all. In fact, that's kind of the way of I guess modern music and the way of temp contemporary music. Because back in the days of classical, it was more common really to give you absolutely nothing. After right. all, think about it. You really have a preconception about something based on the title alone. True. So really, the antithesis of that would be absolutely no title. Say, for instance, Sonata Number Five. Well, you all you have is just okay. It's going to be kind of sorta in a sonata form, and then you just go in with nothing. But at least with the title, you know what you're getting. So to me, this is just an extension of the same thing. And speaking of the title of the first track, Stars, it works so well to describe these first opening notes. We're getting ambient orchestral synth work going on that is a lot of long, long sweeping sounds. 
with nice, bright, sharp strings accenting on top of it and in the spaces in between, and I'm really digging that. I absolutely loved this intro. In fact, it's 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 one element of this which absolutely, right off the bat, did completely outshine last week's album, just because my one problem with last week's album was the intro. Amongst yeah. all things, the intro was just... It was good, but that's about all I could say. This was almost indescribable. It probably is like a synthesized string section, but it has so much depth and so much reverb. Um, and even then, it's still not even that. It's more about the chord progression here than anything. Each chord strikes, and because it has so much reverb behind it, the decay there takes forever. And you just sit with it and in this like chilling in-between. What I love about the serenity of this track as it starts is that like John mentioned that it was kind of ambient, it only felt amb ambient for a few moments. It didn't stay there very long because other things did come in. It, but what's really interesting about that intro is that it still feels very organic. It doesn't feel very techy or glitchy yet. And it just kind of gave this breath to the track as it first started that I really kind of sucked me right in. Absolutely, and we do get that glitchy stuff later, but there's one thing I really want to do about these opening, I really want to discuss about these opening uh, chords here because it, for, for me, it was, it was the chords themselves and also the fact that you have so much space between them. We start off with this like C major first inversion, so it's not quite home, something's just a little off, and then finally we, we resolve to a C major seven, a root chord, but still with the, the density that only sevens can provide. And then what you get in the background, or, or rather, in between uh, the recycling of this, going back to C major first inversion and then to C major seven again, in between you have this lone note that appears really, really high, this lone A, just a high squeal way off from afar. And then you go through the cycle again, and then the next time you hear a very high G, an extremely high G, like the, if you were playing the piano, this would be like the very, very top of, of the keyboard. And it's just, it's, it's piercing before we finally start developing this a little further. And again, so much space between each and every one of these chords. Back to C major and then into A minor. So now we've kind of shifted the tone a little bit, um, but still A minor first inversion, so it's keeping with the same pattern from before. And then one more round, C major, and finally the A minor root. Very, a kind of resolution. And that's where we get our transition. What you hear here is a, an intensely industrial sound. This terrifying bellow, just a half step below uh, the A minor root where we left off. So this bellow arrives on A flat, so talk about a bold departure. It's this just a half step off, and it feels like we've completely left that, that opening setup. And from there, we get as what Matt described as glitch. But what I really like is this transition is very fluid. It, it melds from one to the next to the next. I don't feel any hiccups going on right here. No, it's not. Even though they're so different. I think it's because each and every... Each and every moment and each and every shift is so decisive. Like, the only thing I can compare that that uh, that bellow to, that, that industrial sound, does anyone remember uh, from a fairly recent science fiction movie, District 9? Yes. The sound yeah. that the mothership made mm -hmm. when it was, like, making its call sign-off to... Uh, to go back up into space. The same exact sound, I feel. But it still had a bit of the techno flair to it. It still had a bit of the techno reverb that kept it... Yeah, that ushers in the techno. And what I like, it's... It, I don't know how else to put it, but I feel like it's like the idea of post-techno. Like, we have a lot of post-ideas in music, but here it's, it's sort of taking techno and pushing it to that final evolution where now it's, it's really... It's going beyond the electronica at this point. Well, I could see that... Um, Perhaps most people are going to be drawn in, I think, by the intro, just because it's so it's so weighted. Um, 
I, I, it's hard to imagine someone going into it with any kind of preconception. But then once techno comes, all right, not everyone is on board with techno, and there you have to be a little bit more, uh, at least in the know. I don't know. It, it doesn't feel like something that would grab everyone. But for me personally, this was this was amazing because having known Square Pusher uh, as an artist who's been in the acid techno field for so long, I know his work going way back to the 90s, and it was always sporadic. And I feel this has the same sporadic air, so I'm kind of in familiar territory. It's it's hasty. Um, it's all over the place, and it, sometimes it rings me of, uh, of other artists. It rings of uh, Flying Lotus, of Aphex Twin, which happens to be one of uh, Rajanan's major influences. This lack of focus, this waxing and waning of the focus of the track, especially in the percussion, was very indicative of Glitch. Very, very fun to just try to puzzle out because you just, you can't. When parts drop out, when things come back in, and when that really fun drum scat line comes in, it's, it's just so much... So much texture really compounded into very tight areas. I would just argue a little bit, though, that I don't feel this is as disjointed as Square Pusher and Aphex Twins could be. I think that's true, too. I feel like that this song, and what really sucked me in, you know, pretty much from the early serene moments, is this kind of fluidity that the track feels. Even though there are glitch moments and heavy tech moments that kind of make it reach outside itself a little bit, there's still this kind of through line that drags me along by the nose almost. Like, you know, in cartoons where the the aroma of a food comes out and literally drags a character by the nose. It, it, I felt that way with this track, like it was being led along. Yeah, and it's almost the more challenging thing, I, I'd say, to compared to what we said before in, in terms of being fluid between transitions. Well, here you don't have as many transitions, or the transitions that you do get are subtle. It is the fluid uh, nature of one instrument being being stripped out, another being thrown in, mm -hmm. and it, it has a series, it is marked by a series of restarts, each one more bizarre than the last, but there is something within that that still manages, despite the sporadic, the seemingly sporadic nature of it, to feel very, very fluid. I just, I thought this was an amazing intro, just from a, a, a techno standpoint, because so many techno artists, and here's where I, where I will agree with John, it can get a little flighty. Yeah. You know, they maybe they get so involved with the math of it all that they lose sight of the actual the, the musical flow of the, of the experience of it, and in this case, especially as of the intro, it seems like he's he's completely successful with his goal of trying to put you in an environment and, and let you see visuals in the process, just basing even on the fact that I immediately went back to District 9 based off yeah. that, you know, I, I have a sci-fi feel. So many other things that are, are, are subtle, but yet I'm there, and... Partially, part of it can only be explained by the neurons in your own head. Some of it might not be able to be conveyed through words. Yeah, I was trying to go out of my way to say the word that begins with an S and ends with an E that's five letters that we say all the time when we hear a sound like this. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we say space constantly, and so I didn't want to say that it sounded it's spacey. It's titled stars in this but, case. But I know. Yeah. But, but still, I wanted to make sure that we found other ways to describe it, because truthfully, the instrumentation here is what I think really shines visually in this song. And frankly, I think that that visualization, that would be more apt, I'd say, in the very beginning, just yeah. because of the expansiveness. I feel more emptiness there. Yeah. Here, it's, it's clear that it's more about... If anything, if you are looking at the stars, then it's more about the busyness of the of the cosmos than than its emptiness. Focusing on that. So after this expanse into space, we go to track two, Zerulian. Yes, Zerulian, which I don't think is a word. I only found references to this song and to a Twitch streamer, I believe. This this is a little bit different because 
while we have nice big expanse, this is a much more grounded track. This well, is feels, also fresher to me. Yeah, it feels earthier. The the thumping electric drum feels almost tribal, which is not uncommon in EDM and electronic music. We've talked about it before in other tracks, but this one, this drum does feel a lot more like it's a skinned drum. It doesn't feel electronic in the way it's presented. And it gets more tribal as it goes. I mean, rhythmically, this has a kind of hip-hop flow to it, um, and it, it makes use of, avid use, in fact, of, of pitched percussion. And mm -hmm. I think that's what really gives this its character, because it's not just rhythm. You you feel a sense of it having its own pitch structure with simultaneously with the rhythm, because it's, well, it's pitched percussion. Um, it could, and in fact, probably is very well all synthesized. But the effect is that of wood blocks, the, and the reverb in the background is that of like a damp cave. So uh, again, once talk about setting, this is where I am, and I, I see it, I feel it. Yeah. It is it is texture thick. But there's a couple of little pieces that show through the the electronica very heavily, and that's the the shaker sounds that are being used do have uh, an ending that makes it feel like it's electric. That and the way the horn replica comes in, they feel damaged. They feel like someone's actually playing with a knob as they're playing out their notes. These two things still grounded in something that, well, it's not 100% natural, and I like this. I like that it's just not replicating music that's already you know performable. This is something that still has its identity cemented in in just being made by a machine. The thing you described as, as sort of a horn sound, I think that's the thing that really, really caught me because it contrasts so strangely against that that whole uh, cave-like feel. It's this. It's almost like a melodic component. It's just this uh, these little four-note group and then a little three-note group, and and it, it feels like. This, this outside of the scale effect. Like actually the four group and then the three group, they they feel like, all right, you're kind of sort of in, in a minor key right now. Or actually, I think it was major, but it's hard to, to say because you don't really like resolve. And then all of a sudden in comes this strange outlier, which is completely outside. And, and it wants to drag you away from home so, so wretchedly that you don't like, the only thing that you can feel is just the only constancy that you feel is just this this cave-like atmosphere and I, I found that absolutely amazing actually the next piece that enters in the next major component the very bright echo tapping on top of everything does an amazing job of further contrasting that cave yeah that was sort of a part b but that but the thing about that echoing high tone though in the part b or a prime whatever we're going to call it it felt still fairly earthy and physical. It, it was kind of reminiscent of a steel drum sound like you would hear on a tropical yeah, island. Yeah, definitely. And, but it did still feel like it was reverberating in that kind of cave environment, which did make it feel even a little alien. But the very fact that there was no decay to that echo, there was it was the same note just sort of just pounding out over and over and over again without that loss of volume without that sort of degrading of the noise still kept it enough of the non-natural of the machine to really fit into the weird niche that's going on here with these with these different this lines but I heard what you said before John and that was the fact that it actually comes across as maybe a little bit more uplifting I think and then yes. and, yeah. and then toward the end I would say that Matt's more correct because it starts to fall apart it deteriorates at the tail end of that B section if we're calling it that yeah. And it does absolutely. I, well, yeah. I, I wrote down alien. Alien is is the way it comes across. It actually warps that effect, so it, it eases you in before once again wrenching you wrenching you out of it. The final product of all this, the final 
where this track eventually gets to is very oily and I love it. It's such a it's such a, a dirty groove on top of everything else because everything for me is just enough off kilter to be a little bit too mechanical, to be just a natural smooth rhythm to I, go I along would, with. I would even say it's enough off kilter that the fact that that groove really doesn't doesn't depart at any war throughout the track it really makes you love that groove yes. i think i think through and through from beginning to end i mean I, I loved it in the beginning and then as everything just kind of warps around it you you really really get lost in it and also it doesn't stay around that long the song isn't super long so you kind of get to sit with it but it never really feels repetitive so this one i would have been very enjoyable for like an eight nine minute just well, yeah. experimentation but and then even like what steve was hinting upon when we get towards the end and it starts to unravel it hollows out and what's interesting, though, is as it hollows out and then degrades, the song more or less ends as far as sound goes, but we still get another 15 seconds of silence at the end of the track. It's like silence, or if, if not silence, like the barest of echoes that linger from, from that deterioration. Yeah, there's like barely any noise, which gives this nice kind of breather moment before we get to track three. And the reason to bring that up is, frankly, other tracks flow right in from mm -hmm. one to the next, and this pretty is, common. having 15 seconds of silence is very important when you're actually doing straight through lines for a lot of these tracks. It's not used all the time. Sometimes you just transition, but mm -hmm. especially if he's got a separate idea, make the I mean, the in most of these cut. tracks, for most of the rest of the album, though, the transitions are pretty fluid from track to track. There really aren't any gaps um, or fade-outs. This is kind of really the starkest one. Yeah, and that takes us into track three, Butterfly on a Jet which I enjoyed because it starts off with almost a similar rhythmic structure, but you have to build to it. It starts mm -hmm. off more watery, much more watery, so it's like take out the, the fact that you were, let's say, in a cave before, but you immediately were hearing sounds popping off the walls. Here, it's, it's like submerged, and then it starts adding one rhythmic layer after the other, kind of building to the complexity that we had before, from where we were in the last track. But it's all bo born out of this, uh, I think, j as John put it, this underwater chime thing. Yeah, and I'm not talking like little chimes, I'm talking like those big mother effers that are like four yeah. feet tall, like the sort of thing that gets wheeled around to be played. Which introduces us to, to something that I feel is kind of a constant uh, uh, element on this album. He really makes use of things that have a, a quite the extensive reverberation to them. A large objects, like how I described the, the earlier uh, component as a bellow in the first track. So bellow, large chimes, things that really have weight to it, but still very natural. You can get really sucked into the resonance these sounds make. Yeah. And like what I liked about those chimes is that the way they impacted it gave this flutter effect. Like you imagine either a small butterfly or if a plane flew like a butterfly. Yeah. The kind of sound those giant metal wings would make as they flapped and fluttered. And that's kind of like that give and take between two, the two. But Steve's right. From there, we do go into like a tribal rhythm. And, and I like that because Steve's right. It's reminiscent of the previous track, but still is it's more subdued and it, it fits that kind of underwater feel this tribal rhythm it doesn't feel as apparent as the previous track but the thing is even even after that or even actually even before that there's a lot of stages to this track mm -hmm. it, it it develops more i i would say more more creatively than maybe some of the last tracks because it lasts, mm -hmm. that's more, uh, uh, playing around with layering. Here, it's still layering, but you almost get the effect of different sections. So, for instance, um, after we had completely been immersed into the rhythm that was built on top of this whole underwater thing, then around like 41 seconds in, we suddenly take this big breath. We cut all that out. It's not a constant element. We just take this big breath with this ethereal swell, and then like a vocal squeal enters in, and that 
ushers us into this, like, part B, which I feel was more tribal. I think that's the part that you were thinking of. It was right. more tribal even than, than when it started. The drums actually now have prominence over the watery effects here in this section, it seemed, whereas it was the reverse in the very beginning of the track. And then over that, you also have these indistinguishable lyrics. Lyrics that just come, you, you, you can't possibly tell what they're saying. They're just, they're just present. And I guess they serve some sort of, uh, I don't know, you're in the middle of a party or a club function, but this is a, this is a mad club, man. <laughs> the whole from this A to B, I don't know how else to phrase it, doesn't change much at the end of the day, though. The rhythm remains very steady. No, it's very steady, When you look yeah. back to the other, it's more like he's introducing different uh, tonal choices for each through line. And these shifts in the tonal choices make it more flushed, but it also makes it sharper. And that's what I really like. It's, it's the sharpness, the clearness from the fuzzy we got earlier, from the very soft edges. Absolutely. Now, this, this very angled piece, and especially because there's almost a full drum line going on right here, I lo I'm loving what's going on. It's also the lack of repetition. The stylistic choices that these builds go through really just ensue going through the repetition, going through the motions, or, or bringing back the same thing over and over again. And this is one of my favorite parts because it's just it's just pure inventiveness. You mean from B to C? Of no, no, no. I'm talking about the through line of B. I'm talking about just B itself. It the goes entirety through, of B. It goes through motions that I just thoroughly love. Well, at one point toward the end of B, I noticed that the bottom the bottommost taps of that uh, that like tribal thing start kind of taking over even more so. It starts thinning out, thinning out down to things that you could, that actually almost feels like a little drum solo amidst all this. And then the watery effects completely cut out here and are replaced by this swell, this 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 uh, string swell and. And this is where I would say, um, for lack of a better term, part C begins. Um, the strings are just alone, swelling by themselves, and upwards, onwards and upwards, before they're suddenly cut off abruptly into the bass. The bass kicks in, and this is what I felt was like the comfort zone of this piece. This is what we arrived at. It was incredibly satisfying, a wonderful layer. I want to go back to something you had mentioned earlier, though, about how you felt like the vocalization felt like you were kind of at this bizarre party. I kind of feel like this whole track is the transition from going to a party to being at a party because the heavier beat stuff and even the transition you were talking about just now in C, it feels club-esque, but not your typical club. It feels a little odd, but it's still a beat you could dance to. And that's what I really like about this tribal rhythm versus the previous one. And the previous track is as the slow builds around it and kind of integrates all of these things as it grows and grows, it leads to what feels like a pretty awesome dance party if not a little odd. And it shows the subtle replacements, too, in the way in which they grow that like that tribal rhythm before, and then they fill it out into a more electronic uh, feel. It's almost like doors are being opened and closed, like the walk up to the door of the club, opening the door, and you get the ta-da kind of a moment, <laughs> though much more eloquently done here. And then you're in the club, and that's why everything sharpens. There's no more walls in between. That bass, though, to get back to the C section, that bass... That bass was even repeating lines that were used in the A and the B. Oh, mm -hmm. I love just just what it but does. But it's so it's so fun. It it seemed actually I'm not sure it was necessarily repeating lines. It felt like something completely fresh because it had this unique skip step motion to it that really provided the the actual danceable groove. Whereas everything before was kind of just setting the tone. And this is really the thing where you are on the floor now and you're just having a ball. Yeah, it doesn't really go back to the A again until we get to the outro because the outro has the same fluttering feeling and sound. <laughs> 
the underwater chimes we were talking about. It kind of just returns back to where it started, which I like. Yeah, the watery effects are back, but it, it's the focus is more on the bass. It mm -hmm. has prominence now, so it's always shifting the spotlight every step of the way. Um, and then several times throughout this last stretch, because it does tend to plateau here, and I was completely satisfied that I already got the build. I was just like, all right, great. That's this is this is a, a, the perfect um, club track um, or private dance track, whatever you yeah. want to use it for. Frankly, <laughs> we're just um, striving. There you go. And it, it, there was this one stretch where it, it indulges in that because the bass rings out. It's not doing that skip step motion thing. Instead, now it just rings out on an F for a really long period of time. This this pedal that just supports the rest and kind of sets the tone. Uh, there are even other moments here where uh, the percussion seems a little more active. And then when it's more active and everything else kind of cuts out, it, it became a really tense moment for this piece to kind of just break up this, this overall flow that was, for lack of a better term, part C. And then uh, kind of just fades out back to the watery effects that we had in the very beginning, beginning coming full circle. So talk about a well-rounded track, and I love experiencing um, techno from that standpoint, and not just you know letting it experiencing it get whisked away by one clever or or perhaps arbitrary turn after the next. This was much more integrated. Well, yeah, as I had said when we were listening, it remind certain moments reminded me of Flying Lotus, but the difference here is that there's a stronger through line that pulled me along through every track. I mean, I would say the only comparison I would make to FFS to this is that it both similarly seemed to grow as they went on, and I'm getting that sense here. I'm enjoying it more as it progresses. FFS, the album, is to the song here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And right. so from here we go to track four, Sheep. And whereas the previous track felt like an interesting club sound, here we're getting something that feels more like a standard club beat. Very aggressive. As soon as the song starts, the rhythm here is very much in your face and in the forefront. It's it's definitely more aggressive than the previous tracks. It's very deep. It's a back of the throat kind of a deep. It's also very similar to the previous in that the tones feel like they're in the same sort of area. This It, it has a through lines that we're getting a, a, an idea of what the instrument that's being used to produce all this sounds like. The key thing, though, is that it's not it's it's not as as intricate of a rhythm. It's it relies more on the punch, this incessant pounding that just it doesn't let up. It's it's just kind of like this this brush to a pop. This sh 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 over and over and over. In in and then in the background, you get kind of what is more of a warm but meandering melodic pattern. It's it's. It's actually a very complex pattern. I'll give it that much credit, but it's it is so muted next to the beat. The beat is clearly the focus here. It's it's unmistakable. That was what the spotlight is. I tried to interpret and and see it more in the background and focus on that other thing, but uh, that's that's where he wants you to wants you to be clearly. Well, yeah, and this is the first track I felt really kind of affected my visualization. Like here, I'm not picturing anything but a dark club that I don't want to go anywhere near. I don't really get a sense of environment here, and and those intricacies that Steve was talking about the light tones, they constantly seem in the background to me. I, I remember Stephen John saying that they both could focus a little bit past them, past the thump, but I for me it was a little overwhelming. I just, I couldn't break that wall. I kept getting kept out by that heavy beat. I guess academically speaking, I thought it was an interesting choice to essentially distract you with this beat and then make that the primary focus but then this comping in the background is, is treated more as, as background noise, as atmosphere, despite that it's more complex. I, I thought that was somewhat interesting. It plays around with, again, where, where what your focus is. Sure. But it, again, it's not for the faint of heart. It's, yeah, it's or maybe just... it is for the faint of heart, because after all, again, on the dance floor, it's, well, 
actually, this is this serves a purpose. Yeah. No, I know. Yeah. It's supposed so to it's, get you to move, and that, that rhythm is supposed to get you to move. I just feel like the so tribal stuff we heard earlier made you move more. Ironically enough, that makes it both simultaneously above you, above what, what you can comprehend, and also beneath like what, yeah. you're, what you should be able to comprehend. The fact that there's no real major changes going on right here, except layers. Layers do come in and out of this track, but... But I'm missing the evolving factor that we've gotten so far on the first three tracks where when a layer comes back in, when you're getting a high tinny percussion, well, when it comes back, it's not going to be high tinny, though it may be the same sort of rhythmic idea. Here, everything just stays so rhythmically equal to one another at the same time as staying so tonally equal to themselves. I just, I can't get fully on board until bass, once again, bass steps in. Hmm. And when that steps in, it's another one of those through lines. And I can this one, I don't see how anybody can... You, you got to hear this, Matt, through the thumping that's going on. This, this well, yeah. through line was just... It was but very enjoyable to, to, to follow it along. But at that point, it's towards the latter part of the track. And, and it's that's like, the biggest problem. I had already yeah. been tired of the repetitive nature at that point. It's just... This is the first song that really didn't engage me in the same way the other three tracks did. And so I was just a little taken aback by it. It just it didn't really suck me in. It coasts for a really t long time. And and because you don't have the build-up that the last track had, I feel like, in some sense, the track didn't earn it for me. But, you know, yeah. whatever. <laughs> I don't know. It's called Sheep. It is called Sheep. Matt, I, said, I, I, Matt I, said counting sheep I really, well, yeah. that's I, what I, 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 I thought that, in fact, when I, when I read it. And I, I just felt it, well, if, if you're going to count sheep, then... Why not have a nice big ticker? <laughs> I went deeper than that. I said it was it was a commentary on society and how everybody's just part of the herd and following one another like sheeple. Either way, yeah. if you're following that kind of a thing, it wasn't apparent by the music itself other than the nature of the repetitiveness. So. Well, that said, the final segment of this track, the very last uh, segment, did serve as an interesting transition because now that the the pattern is is kind of gone it, it was it was replaced the the melodic pattern was, was gone and replaced by these like chimes and bubbles that continuously pan left to right that's the new atmosphere now um even though you still have the beat so, and then that's what kind of takes us into track five broken computer and broken computer is unique because all the other tracks kind of started with instrumentation here we get a sound effect that's clearly either meant to represent a subway opening its doors a subway car or like a, a, some kind of machinery letting off steam. It's literally a, you know, movement on some kind of track and then a well, We gotta reach for some of these pieces of imagery, but the subway sound is kind of unmistakable for a New Yorker. <laughs> That's Actually, also very true. In this case, it, was, it felt like a cartoony computer explosion. I knew the title name when I was listening to it and it felt like that, that sort of idea of now there's smoke rising from the machine. But what we get doesn't stay atmospheric. It no. goes glitch. It goes full glitch here, and I love it. I, I would actually say that at the very beginning, it was more of a new age hip hop sort of because these these really dense chords start us off. It's it's pretty moody actually, and I was I was completely down with it. The the chords strike at the first beat of every measure. But here's what's interesting, and this is where the glitch steps in. Gradually, as the intro progresses, the chords seem to be further and further delayed, just by fractions. A sixteenth note at first, then upwards of an eighth. Uh, at some point, they even seem to be fully on beat two, and then they come back and they realign. That's what Glitch is. It's always throwing you off. You can't treat it as these regular groups because it's shifting, it's shifting, it's shifting, and then it will come back because it still has to, you know, fit metronomically speaking, but it's, it's, it's a trip in the process. Well, yeah, those jerks and halts, the non-linearness of it, 
Nonlinearness? Is that a word? Anyway. Nonlinear is a word. I non- wrote down that okay. one. I know that's a real word. But the fact that, that there's a lack of linearity here is... <laughs> I'm just making up words as I go. I might as well go big, right? Um, it just it, it makes it interesting again. At least now, it was, we've got stuff that... Sounds that do sound familiar or stuff that could repeat on itself. It jerks and halts, and so it, it engages me. Because I'm like, oh, hey, what? that's a thing. Oh, wait, now it's doing that. It, because it, just, it pulls you in more. Because it's not using color or clutter like yeah. other tracks do. It uses the patterns themselves yeah. to reshape this. They're readjusted the second he grows tired of them. And then by one minute in, you realize that the patterns... They're, they're, they're not just going to leap out at you. You're not just going to be able to like take this track in in the sense that uh, we try to break down tracks or have been trying to break down earlier tracks, so A, B, C. No, instead, it's just this inner logic that can only be experienced. Just just listen to it and, and take it in. I equate this song to you know us trying to explain it to a listener who hasn't heard it is like someone who codes trying to explain coding to someone who's never seen a computer. It's the yeah. idea that no matter what we say, because of the construction of this song, it's not really going to make sense till you've heard it. And well, yet at the same time, there's an art to it. Right. There's also other elements that do step in, like the random guitar work, which in and of itself has that same sort of clipped nature going on. Mm-hmm. You got the vocal clips themselves, the, the, the voice that just speaks out and is really screwed up. But my favorite component, once again is the bass. Yep. And this time, it's because of the tone, really. The, the, the tone of this bass only reminded me of just one artist, and that is Jaco Pistorius. Jaco Pistorius is the king, and he's known for having a very, very warm sound to his bass. He's released entire albums of just him him on the bass. And, of course, he sadly, tragically passed away uh, many years ago, but still, um, his work is, is followed upon. His work has influenced numerous bassists. Um, and this is the tone. This captures the tone 100%. And yet, it, it's still just an element of, of what overall is, is transpiring here. Um, but because you experience that tone in this very sparse sense, and it, because it is also very warm, it comes across as very fun at the same time, it was just, it was just a delight, I thought. Um, and, and kind of, if, for instance, you are being thrown off by everything else, it is that one element that does ground you, that anyone can relate to. Well, there was another element that showed up in Sporadic Ideas that did an interesting job because it was one of the few ones that wasn't glitching out, and that is the very moist, wet percussion line. It's not there the whole time, but when it shows up, it's really the steadiest thing of the of the entire track. It was like a phasing effect. I, I, yeah. I heard that more around, like... Two minutes, ten seconds in that in that region, and it was like this phasing sound that occurred on like sixteenth notes. It, it 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 it's it's that quick, and then it grows louder, and then it diminishes, and it's just got this like sine wave uh, volume effect, and that's what I think made it also much uh, much easier to get on board with than the rest. Like, well, not that the rest was deterring me in any way. It's just that these are the the little elements, of, the little little characters that he throws in amidst the backdrop. It, Still loving this so far. Yeah, I want to come to this artist for the interesting things. And four was kind of a hiccup in that, but I feel like five were back on track for what I'm at this point coming to Lord Raja for. Yeah, absolutely. So track six, Ride Out. Um, This had a series of false starts. Actually, it had one really major false start in the beginning. It completely just halts to silence. Um, And then that puts you into this kind of like... 
I think Matt termed it sort of a 90s slow jam. Yeah, it felt very R&B almost. And, it, and it's kind of tragic. Tech. It's tragic mm-hmm. in the process because the melody here sounds human. It's the, it's the first dominant element on this album that really, really feels human, at least in part. Um, as if it was like once sung and now it's been warped down into this, just this gurgling mess. Um, so it's not like you really hear like a voice specifically. You just hear this 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 tone that you, has like a human behind it. Well, you do ha- hear vocals here and there in the track as it progresses, but yeah, it does feel like the first time we're getting music made by man. And because it's wailing, that's why I say it sounds very tragic. Mm-hmm. But this just goes on. I mean, the rhythm itself seems to be like a quarter of the beats per minute of the last few tracks. And because of that, because of how elongated everything is, there's it's kind of disappointing that there's a lack of of stuff around that. No, I thought there was more stuff going on here. I thought that especially by the time you get uh, upwards of, of a minute 20 around that area, you get you actually do get lyrics. This time it's it's not just the warped effect. It seems actually to become more human as it goes um, because you get like these background vocalists pr- just leading up to that and then finally you have what I the only lyrics that I think are really on this album and I wasn't able to find them anywhere and I still can't tell what he's saying. They're still indistinguishable, but everything else has just been so much less distinguishable by contrast. This is the first time I actually felt like something was about to start and yet it's so brief. Those lyrics don't last very long. They're supplanted with all the other stuff. They take over again, and the vocals are just immediately suppressed back to kind of where they were in in the beginning. And yet, strangely enough, this sounds tragic. It sounds romantic, all without really saying a thing. But it's all, once again, because of setting. I just am missing the, the challenging factors that were in the last... Well, we're in everything else so far. Uh, yeah, I guess it's not as That's, challenging, but uh, here, I, I find here, that to be a, a really unique element. And, and, I, I, I definitely agree with that, but I wanted something... I was prepared for a lot more intricacy. I was prepared for warping effects. I was prepared for... Instead of just drawing things out, I was. I wanted I wanted something to, to, to latch on to that was going glitch, that was that was reinventing itself, that was changing up its reverb. These things I'm missing in this one track. But I believe we have hit the point of the album where it's time to breathe, as in, in many albums, you know, you're, you're, you're expecting, and, and you have to, frankly, otherwise it just becomes white noise. And I believe to, to really uh, keep going with the whole glitch thing, it would become a, a form of white noise to us after a while. And because this uh, this track specifically was so successful in putting me in, in, in a place, maybe even above uh, many others, I, I felt that, uh, considering the track title, for instance, Ride Out, like you're sort of escaping something. Mm-hmm. So if there is a human element here, and if there is a tragedy present, then it's a, the kind of tragedy that can only come from one's inner musings, as, for instance, they're just driving away. They're escaping it all, because it's very related to how the track ends. The track ends simply with the sound of windshield wipers, just whishing back and forth, and, and with, with rain, rain coming down, yeah. yeah, with rain. And I think that aesthetic was conveyed loosely by the instrumentation, but then once we got the sound effect at the end, the windshield wipers and the rain, it was like, aha! It puts you, it puts it, in perspective. It really puts in perspective. What's interesting, though, is that that sound effect bleeds through to the next track, track seven. It, it carries through, and it's not like it carries through a little bit. We get a solid few it seconds ju- It just it. continues. Yeah. And frankly, the next track here, track seven, the H3000, which a little aside on this, this uh, was 
part of what I read in the intro. The H3000 is, is a, a machine, a mixer, that in, that he used to create this album. I actually mentioned it earlier on in the intro. Um, it's, it des it's described as a modular algorithm allowing you to create completely custom effects that can be manipulated in real time and even synchronized to the session. The original was made in 1986 and he's been using it for a very, very long time. It's, 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 it's integral to this album. Um, and I thought it to be a curious track in order to actually implement the title itself as if it was some kind of ode to the synthesizer because as you were starting to say that 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 windshield wiper effect continues it bleeds right through into this track as if this were just an an, an addendum really to the previous track as if it were just a, a little postscript because it's not that long it's only a minute and 24 seconds and it is quite sparse it, it is an exaggeration i suppose uh, John, of everything that maybe you didn't like about the last track, this this has n no glitz whatsoever. It's the thinnest track here. Percussion especially but, is, is barely there. But uh, you're taking this m very muffled sound, it's more akin to my ears as, well, this is sort of like the heart of his machine. I like it artistically because this feels like, oh, okay, he's booting it up. He's starting it up. This is this is what it makes when he's not using it. This is this is it by itself. I started to wonder if it was actually an emotional attachment to the machine itself. I, that's how I have to view it. Well, I would argue also that because this is kind of coming in as an interlude, and the previous track was this kind of slow jam ode to the heart. This is his heart, and so it continuing to be that slow. This is at the core of a lot of his work it sounds like so that might be why it stays there but that said I agree with Steve I feel like it does ring a little hollow as far as content is concerned but again if you're taking it as an interlude to further break up the album I get it I just feel like it's more or less an extension of ride out to have it as its own track it just no it's I, it's an ode to his his piece though in, I guess in many ways. Yeah. Yeah, like, I, w I wouldn't retreat I think yeah. I think you had it there yeah. I, that's, that's kind of how I, I came to see this track I mean who am I to say how he feels about his machine it may yeah. seem odd H3000 you just think oh well the H3000 you're going to get something that's extremely technical and complex you know that's almost incomprehensible and instead it's the it's the polar opposite of that it's it's the most probably the most emotionally gripping um moment on this album, at least in terms of the aftermath that it lets you. I mean, wh when are windshield wipers and rain ever supposed to symbolize anything that's that's not uh, dreary, depressing, not, yeah. or sad? I, I mean, it's, it's weird because strangely, if it's this emotional soul, you'd think it would be something something happy, but maybe not in some sense he's conveying a, a story behind this that I is mean, no, a little bit gotta, clouded. Look at it this way. It still even has a subtle tribal beat going to it. So even when he's not on the machine, even when it's all by itself, it still has that, that kind of heartbeat idea to him. It still has a part of him in it. Artistically, this is this is a great piece to to really try to get across what this item means to him. Well, if you take any cues from the movie Her, I mean, there's bound to be a lot of depression in that if you're emotionally attached to something that can't talk back. Or maybe we're reading it. It's just, it's just no, I don't. I don't. No, no, no. This guy's doing something different here. I'm. I think we're reading into it just enough. Let's put it that let's let's at least simplify it on the level of how we can experience it, since we don't know his his uh, connection to it, um, present or otherwise. I did certainly feel like I was just sitting in my car, parked with the windshield wipers running. Of course, duh, because it's it's actually playing, but I felt that in the last track as well. I yeah. felt that before the windshield wipers were even present, and that to me is a, is a surefire success. Well, so yeah. this just kind of brings it home, that's all. He's continuing to perpetuate what he said we would get, these kind of sceneries and these, these experiences through music, and he's still continuing to do that. Unfortunately, we're starting to approach a place, though, where that 
starts to lack a little bit, but let's let's get more specific. So track eight is Stoked Tourist, and this is the first song that, as it begins, we get the most apparent synth sounds. We get a synthy intro that, like this is clearly keyboard sound here, that whereas other places it had been sprinkled and kind of glitched, here it's pretty straightforward, and paired with, not too far into the track, some echoey vocal work that, again, is incoherent to understand but still clearly meant to be a voice being used as an instrument yeah but to hone on that on that keyboard effect it it, it was very jazzy mm -hmm. and specifically uh, commenting on the chord progression here it has that parallel motion feel it's a great tool i might argue that it's a little bit overused in this track because it, it really is just going i've heard this a lot i've heard this a lot where chords are constantly jumping up and down but it's always the same uh, the minor little adjustments here and there, but it's just harsh triad shifts. There's not a lot of like voice leading in the process. That has its place. It went on for just a little bit longer here. I might be the naysayer. There was some indulgence in it. The bends, however, the bends in each and every chord strike, they worked as a really good transposition tool, and they really had a way of reshaping this about halfway through. In fact, the way one chord, after going through all these different motions, right, the, the, it lands on this one chord that just holds out. It holds out for a really long time, almost an eerily long time, because it was it was hardly a resolution. It was a, a, a strange, almost climactic moment. Or if not climactic, it was like on the middle of the rise, and we just stopped there. We stopped building to anything, and we didn't we didn't land on anything. It was it was deconstructivist, and I I, I adored it for that reason, and it almost validated the parts that lead that led up to that. But as this whole thing sort of de de gets demolished around this chord, we do get that. I call it sitar-ish. You said it was guitar-ish. It like it's a, close. It felt just like an acoustic nice, guitar. It nice was a nylon nice little, feel. Yeah, really sharp plucks going on right there that I really, I, I wanted like a meaning behind it because there was something going on there and I just couldn't figure it out. And I love the pattern to it. The pattern was, was enchanting, but it has one jump. One jump really toward the end of that cycle. At the end of the whole classical guitar segment, it, it the, the, the tick of the nylon, that, that harsh attack, I love the way it cues the percussion that follows it. It was just this this beautiful pairing, this match made in heaven, of going from a very acoustic instrument that is in such a in such a timbre where it's almost starting to sound electronic because you're on this metallic sound, and then that that goes seamlessly right into the percussion. Um, great transition. Well, yeah, that transition I think is is really standoutish because of the fact that the tone from one transition, one singular note to another, is almost indistinguishable. Going from that guitar to that uh, machine kind of drum tap sound is they just blend to a point where they become one. And we hadn't really heard anything like that at that point. You know, taking something fairly physical, connecting it to something fairly electronic, but making them sound almost identical in tone. Yeah, and then, and then the last thing I really loved about this track was... Um, well, obviously the bass. I mean, that's kind of been a win, I think, for most of this album here. But it provided a warmth that this track had really lacked up to this point. Mm -hmm. You could argue that maybe it was there in the beginning, but I think the the chords that were jumping around the beginning were they they had a tonal uh, the the timbre of it was warm, but yet they were they seemed like they were always in search. So after this this all these this experience of searching, you know, left and right, not really be able to ground yourself and find your place, the bass, I guess, finally provided that role. Yeah, I mean, I would argue that, you know, it might have sounded similar to that kind of feeling in track two because of the earthiness of the tribal beat, but here it's definitely doing something a little bit different. So 
there's reminiscent kind of feels from earlier songs, but not quite like this. Yeah, and I do want to go back to your earlier comment, because you did start to say that maybe this is where things felt they were unraveling for you a little mm-hmm. bit. I don't. I mean, I love elements about this track, but I did find that I was honing in more on the elements than the overall cohesion. It yeah. did seem like this was a case where he indulged a little bit in terms of the transitions. And that's where it starts really falling apart for me. This track, especially the second part, the very long beat with the those subtle shakers that we've gotten earlier it loses a lot of its focus and just kind of peters out at the end of the day for me it doesn't it doesn't remain gripping and here if you want to talk about, about being led around by the nose here it doesn't do that no, it, no, it no. kind of just goes okay you stay you stay right here i'm going to go away and it does exactly that. It, it, it leaves you. It, it's kind of that internalized self-indulgence, leaving you to your own devices because it's more concerned with itself in those moments, which not bad or good. I wasn't a big fan of. It just it seemed a little odd. It depends how you interpret it because, yeah. I, I, like I said, there were other things in this track that appealed to me on one level that I wasn't as concerned. Again, having... Having grown up with, I guess, with Square Pusher and whatnot, I'm, I'm, I'm used to at least a little bit of uh, sporadicism. Sporadicism? We'll go with that. Yeah, all right, track nine, Koi Fish. So here, something that we talk about quite often on the podcast is the use of silence or, you know, just these halting moments in in tracks. Like, but, a, like a series of false starts. Yes. I mean, I found, yeah, the beginning of this track was like, stop happy. It did yeah. not want to just throw you in. Well, because it wasn't even just false starts. There was actual gaps, and yeah. so it was like false gaps. Several times throughout this intro, we wind it down to to literally utter silence. The silence is so pronounced. It's like it's like the loudest silence that I've ever heard. It gives intensity to the track in a drama that we haven't really heard anywhere on the record. To the point where I would really, really love hearing this track on noise-canceling headphones, because I bet it would throw... It, it would yeah. do a number on you. But this is a great idea. The track does seem to lean very heavily on the beat to be its only major component because everything else goes very background, very very flare-oriented to be worked on top of it. By about 30 seconds in, we are in a pretty steady groove. Uh, we do insert more of these stops, though. Uh, I mean, it, it, it becomes kind of a, uh, a constant thing throughout the track. And that's a great part, to go back to what I said earlier, I like the challenge of this. I like being able to go... Wait, what did my? I, I, what first thing I said when we were listening to it? Oh, it wasn't my computer that was causing the skipping. Yeah, yeah. and but <laughs> I, I do want to say I don't think it's like a matter of of sitting with these these groups for extended periods of time. I mean, all things considered, I think it was about a minute. It was about a minute that we were in this groove uh, with the stops included and all that. And then around, I'd say, 147, we introduced this ethereal drone with the percussion continuing to travel along with it. It was, it was They were trying to move this forward. And then finally around 215, um, the bass sounds like it's going to begin in a completely new segment. It, begins, yeah. it starts to sound like this is a, a, a part B, but then the prior groove rushes back. So even that in itself was a form of a false start. Yeah. So even though we didn't actually use silence this time, but it seems like this is his little game here with, with Koi Fish, just trying to play around with moving into the theme, the content. You know, you almost expect that you're going to get a part A. I don't even know if we really ever got a part A. It just keeps restarting itself. It's an interesting concept. The concept is interesting, but I just feel like it's starting to 
rely on tricks without actually creating content or space. Yeah. Like I'm not I don't feel like I'm somewhere with this song. Koi fish indicatively remind me of like Chinese restaurants or like an aquarium and I don't feel like I'm in no, either of those it places. Thinks, it thinks I think of gardens or and, gardens and beautiful settings like that. But okay, Chinese food. It's indecisive. The track as a whole is very indecisive. It doesn't know what it wants to do, which, okay, theme, I would only argue that's maybe more present in the latter half of this track. Mm -hmm. I think I was really, really accepting the artistic choice for the first half, but then it... You actually you could interpret it that it, he just took the the form of uh, false starts and and um and deterioration to a very very extreme level and wanted to ramp that up as he went. But the pro the the actual listening to it, the experience of it is a little bit rough. I mean, this may considering just the last few tracks, this may sound kind of redundant or belated. Uh, but this is really the first track, honing on the last half, where I really felt it began to just completely unravel. And I guess, in, in my opinion, this time, not so artistically. That last stretch, that last minute especially, just felt almost utterly random toward the end. It kept prompting me as if the next thing was right around the corner, but then this groove just comes back in, relentless, until finally there doesn't even seem to be much of a uh, identifiable groove at all. It's just it's, it's pitter-patter. Well, the melody and the rhythm feels a little too fused to one another. It's it's hard to identify where one starts and the other ends because the percussion that's going on feels like it's trying to be the melody, but it's not succeeding. The groove that comes in late, if it focuses around the melody, but it's still very adhered to the rhythm section itself, so it's hard to distinguish the one from the other, so you're in an odd place to begin with. In I like Odd Places here. It just wasn't strong enough all around to, to draw me in. Yeah, no, I understand that. And I, I don't want to diminish the part that was actually a constant element here. But you're right, it wasn't enough for me because it was all about the, the, the clutter here. And that, that was one area that disappointed me a little because clutter was what he'd managed to avoid, I think, up until this point. This time, it just... It, it was hard to avoid. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you both. I think that I've made it pretty clear in previous EDM and electronica and anything of the sort that we've done. Um, I'm probably lumping genres together. I shouldn't be, but I'll get yelled at on the internet later. My point is, <laughs> I'll is that yell artists, at you later if you really want. We've had enough of variety here on this podcast. I'd say at this point, you should distinguish. The, but my point is, with this kind of music, is that I don't like the sporadic nature. I prefer to have a flow, and so this song. This album has continued to have a flow that I could engage in until this track where I f truly feel like you guys said I just I don't I can't find that through line that's going to pull me through. This is I interesting cuz considering we've done Apex Twin and we've done Square Pusher is it possible now that you're on the other end of that curve where you've been giving things the benefit of the doubt and now you're starting to crystallize Old Man Matt, I like what I like. <laughs> it could be. I don't know. I just know that I don't like this track as much as the others, that's for sure. Okay. But something I do know we all like the next track, Renaissance Endo. So this track, and I'll let you get into it really quick, but all I want to say is that at least I got character in this track. From the very beginning, I felt like there was a character and a place to this a track. A wonderfully, wonderfully approachable groove. The pattern yeah. is long, it's complex, it's inviting, and it has a strut to it. And it's steady, and it's a through line that's extremely steady throughout the track, and I have no problem with that. This is a... It's just engaging. When your rhythm, especially in electronica, is so engaging... It's it's hard to make bad things around it. Some comments on texture here, because this is one of the most important elements. The track lives in the underbelly, this this nether region. It's all composed almost exclusively of bass and drums, little sound bites here and there. But most importantly, it feels like the track is peaking. 
it feels like this 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 beat that comes in this whoosh it, it's just it's it's taxing the input it's taxing the uh the drivers and and like someone is uh supplying the pa system beyond its capabilities i i i thought that was an interesting uh approach because everything else had had a little bit of a mellow approach and this was it was aggressive in its way, but it was also still muffled. So it's actually a little bit from column A, it's a little from column B. It felt less aggressive and more like it just had attitude. Like it just, it, it had a chip on its shoulder a little bit. Well, there was a couple of identifiable things. And one was the reverb gets gets screwed around with as we go along. It, it feels, phrases get longer and shorter. And that kind of argues against the, the chip on the shoulder because... Well, it weakens at points, so that chip gets less pronounced, and then it comes back in, and it gets less pronounced. It also makes another track that makes avid use of those pauses. It yeah. also kind of has a little bit of a stop-start nature. We get the false starts again, but they're less gimmicky here. This time, it feels like it's to the evolution of the track. It's to the character to have them. It, it adds the drama that the previous track hinted at here by evolving the song with it. Because every time we get one of these halts, every time we get one of these false starts, it's not to go, oh, okay, here's the theme again. No, we're getting a whole new layer to this this sandwich. And it's not even layers. It's like chunks of layers. When one thing comes in, two or three other new elements are going to come in at the same time. But it's, it's, it's once again that challenge because... Well, if, if this comes in, it's replicating that. And this is something that I loved in the earlier tracks, when, when he would take an idea and totally just completely screw with it. Got to take issue with one of those moments, though. One of those moments, um, I would hardly call uh, call it a false start, because it really was a transitionary tool, and, oh, I'm going to throw out the word here, it was a very, very cliched transitionary oh, tool. Oh, yes, I know oh, exactly the, what you're talking the about. The rapidly increasing snare, as we've heard in so many a trance track, just getting faster and faster before finally dumping us on this more enhanced, balls-out groove from before. Appreciate it. I'm over it. I no, I, mean, just, I, I didn't see it coming out of this album for some reason. It, that's That was what kind of threw me. It did seem a little odd and a little bit stereotypical, but that said, I feel like it, it doesn't kill the song for me. It was just a moment where I went, really? But then I just got back into it because the whole groove and construction of the song was still very engaging. Yeah, there, and, were, there were interesting things to follow this. And the destruction of the song, too, because it, it doesn't just devolve or come apart. It degrades towards the end of it. And I like it. It's almost like... There's chunks of it just slowing off and falling to the ground that are no longer necessary. I love how that ending just works so well in tandem with how the song itself built. Two minutes, three seconds, or around there, you hear this squeal. And the sound bites get more pronounced around here, as if he's trying to really just like supply it with more character. But this time he's back to back to the successes that he had in the beginning for me. I felt that I was at least uh, I, references were, were coming to my mind. He was putting me in a place again because the sound that I heard, uh, not just that squeal, but these squeals that followed, really sounded like. <laughs> Uh, I hope someone gets this out there. The humpback whales from Star Trek The Voyage Home, the fourth movie. <laughs> and everyone yeah. remember that plot yes. thread where yeah. they had, for some reason, to go back to 1986, which was when the movie was made, and they had to retrieve humpback whales because they were extinct in the Star Trek future. And they had to bring them back because an alien probe that had arrived in the solar system was demanding a response to their message because they had picked up signals of humpback whales from the distant, distant far off space and then they 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 they're like waiting well where's our humpbacks whales where are they and then if they didn't respond then it was just going to destroy the world this, so this has been our useless star trek moment but it's presented by steve 
Thank you. But specifically, specifically, <laughs> the sound that the whales made as heard out outside of the water, because mm-hmm. typically we only hear them inside, inside the, the water, water yeah. and that and it's it sounds normal there. But if you if you project that outside of the water, it has a completely different tone, and it sounds almost alien. It sounds very strange, which is why, of course, in that movie, they couldn't figure out what it was, and same sound again, just as it brought me back to District 9. Clearly, I'm in a bit of a sci-fi kick uh, as a result of this, and I thought that was... I've never heard anything like this in music, so it worked for me. But this is what we want from... from, Raja's tracks, I think, is to be taken somewhere. And that was my biggest problem with Koi Fish, is I felt kind of, sta- and even Stoke Tourist, is I felt stagnated in a place, but I didn't know where. Whereas in track 10, I clearly feel like I'm somewhere and I'm getting something. It served to color and distort the end of this yeah. um, in a very visceral manner. And then the outro, uh, once again, kind of starts bil- building us to max speed again before landing us on this very industrial military but but broken uh outro and that that is what yeah. thoroughly becomes track 11 yeah shook and, and and it carries over from the previous track in a way we had uh some tracks connect earlier but this time it wasn't pure silence it was that sound that steve described that bleeds perfectly into shook and then you know from there it kind of goes into this these tones that feel like they're connecting like weapons almost, like hollowed wood or bamboo, yeah. like in a training session. With a little bit of metal thrown inside. Uh-huh. I call it item percussion, just building a drum set out of stuff that's lying around. But it felt like the way the things were impacting, it was almost like people sparring. It's just the way they impacted and how frequently. Especially when the next layer steps in to, to work off of this, it goes from, yeah, metal and and wood and what have you but the next layer adds the rapid nature to it then the, then to me they start sounding like strikes and counter strikes they start sounding like movement because there's something moving it along working with the rhythm to to make the rhythm seem like it's doing more than it actually is it actually um there's another little reference here to uh, Joseph, Joseph Bertolozzi. Seems like the kind of thing that he would do. Yeah. Uh, a composer of tower music, bridge music, um, which is coming out later this year, I believe in April. Uh, you interviewed him on Crash Chords Autographs. That is correct. And it, it seems like the kind of stuff that he would do because it makes use of so much metallic noises. And yet it is, it is, it does have a kind of sparring uh, nature to it. And I remember that's a lot, that was very present in the work that he does. He gets very creative with those metallic sounds and, and explores all the capabilities of whatever object he's, he's using at that time be it the Mid-Hudson Bridge or the Eiffel Tower. It's just everything's got its unique timbre and he makes what he will. And he's Lord Raja seems to have the same propensity. And I think it's just really interesting to me because everything else before this hadn't sounded very physical except for some of the tribal earthy tracks. This is the first tones to me that literally sound like they exist in the physical world and that I think was the most interesting thing for me about this track. And the whole thing flows through with this with this main percussion line and it, it just flushes out. It doesn't build at the end of the day. It just starts emerging. Little pieces start coming out here and there. And it's it's so enticing to be unable to point out a lot of the areas when a new layer comes in. There was something. A new layer, actually, this was a pretty dominant element. I, w- I would say, yeah, for the most part, this takes... Uh, kind of a backseat. It, it, you're immersed into it in the beginning by the whole military-industrial groove. That becomes uh, the backseat element, especially when the horns come in, because mm-hmm. they are extremely dominant. And I was just... They actually sound... They, they, they're the first thing in many, many tracks now that I would just flat-out describe as melodic. There haven't been a lot of melodic components recently. And here, it actually takes the shape of like a, a flat five bending up to a five, 
and then taps that out a few times, five, 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 down to one. And it actually is really beautiful. Just just the simplicity of five, one, one of the most basic, fundamental um, anchors of, of Western music. And it, it, it's beautiful just by itself. Just in the little bend upwards that leads up to the five, hammer that out, come down to one. Those melodic cells, again, it's, I'm all about that lately, and, and maybe that's, I don't know, a phase recently. People are done with full-on melodies. They just want to work with, with cells, and if that's the case, I really appreciate it. Uh, something else I want to say about this track also is that it feels long, but not in the sense that it feels like it's dragging. It feels long because it feels like it's only a, a little under three minutes, but it feels like it's longer because it accomplishes a lot in that time frame. It feels yeah. like there's so many more movements and, and things that it does that it does feel longer because it feels meatier. This is a great stroll just through something, through, I don't know, with the natural sounds, with what's going on, it feels like a park being alongside an industrial park, like the two opposing ideas going through. You have very natural noises, you have very metallic noises, the back and forth between the two, and when voices come in, you get a, a very light siren idea very late on. There's a lot of very of, of city work in here. I've never heard anything so atmospheric and industrial at the same time. Mm-hmm. It really, and maybe all things considered, it just landed me at that, at that old word, it's ineffable. Um, I, I would want more more of this, I think, in Lord Raj's work, or, or a, f- a furthering of this at the very least. And that lands us at track 12, Footwork. A so, fairly short track, 138. And this track is the closest thing on the whole record that we get to ambient. It, there are just several drawn-out tones. I mean, it's almost... It's, uh, dare it, I say minimalist? It just it doesn't have very much to this it. This is, in fact, this is ambient. Someone yeah. said ambient earlier. This is the only, only thoroughly ambient track I think on this entire album. It's to me, it sounds like sonar coming from another room. Like it's even that muffled. But it's just you, you do hear a little bit of a, a a ping going off every once in a while with the long whooshes over everything else. But it's mostly whooshes, which yeah. is why I thought it was pretty ironic that this that track was named Footwork. Because, you know, that would imply that there's more actual uh, steps going, beats going, something yeah. that actually, instead, like, how, how is footwork by any stretch supposed to sound like this? I, I Anyone? Are uh, you walking in a cloud? Uh, maybe you're maybe walking it's... approximately 0.005 miles an hour because you're arthritic and paraplegic. I don't know. Maybe well, if you're paraplegic, you're not walking. But that's besides the point. I well, think yeah, that maybe it's maybe. footwork, but not fancy footwork. Where it's usually footwork when it's referred to is as fancy because it's complicated and intricate. Whereas here, it's just footwork, and it's not fancy and intricate. It's maybe, but even if you were just walking, even footwork. if you were just meandering, there's still going to be a stomp, a strike that's, at some point. The there are no strikes. There's that's no the nothing. That's that's a very subtle ping coming from the other room on the radar station. You know, it's to the point where I, I barely even remember that because I was just focused on the ambience of it all. Yeah, it, it's something that you can get lost in for a minute and it breaks up the tail end of the album. I just feel like it's kind of unnecessary in the placement, though I guess you could have put it anywhere and it would have had the same effect. Functions as an interlude, I suppose. Yeah, but um, I mean, it's functioning as an interlude before the final two tracks. And considering what comes after, I'm, I'm just a little confused at that point. Flying Towards the Ground, track 13. This is actually one of the longer tracks on the record. and Over four minutes, over yeah. Over four minutes. Most of these are fairly short. And this begins with a muffled, but a, certainly a strong beat. It almost has the the uh, aggressiveness that we got back in Sheep, 
um, which was track uh, four, I think. But it, it's it, it's got more going on here. There's this uh, than Sheep did, I think. This has got like this repeated tone, which also has sort of a flutter to it, um, which kind of reshapes as it goes. Uh, yeah, the flutter is reminiscent of almost like a helicopter or a chopper yeah. kind of rotor spinning, you know. Get to the chopper! Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not sorry. But it just has this... It idea. had to happen. It, it did have to happen. It, but it did have this feeling of, like, something spinning, cutting the air, though. <laughs> but it evolves into, I gotta say, a glitch accordion. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. It was a weird sound, but it's got that... It's got a... This is becoming a game of what are you going to hear next on this it, podcast. It was... Um, a skipping accordion. It, that's what it felt like to me. There was a there was a beat work line there that it's brighter. It has that kind of reverb that's associated with accordions. See, I, I didn't get that effect. at all. I thought it was too warped to even like pin a sound or an instrument on it. Well, it was so metal... warped. It was not overwhelmingly so though. I this was uh, this was a really indescribable track. I have to be honest about I that. I mean, my biggest problem with this track is indescribable as it was, the sounds that were there that we're having trouble describing repeated were always a lot. There, yeah, yeah, they repeated a lot, and this is the first honest to goodness track I can say where I felt it was repetitive. There were repetitive moments, like I mentioned in Sheep, that the overwhelming thump felt repetitive, but there yeah. were other intricacies that broke that a little bit. Here, I truly felt halfway through the song that I was just hearing the same thing almost well, over and over again with little accents. It's an odd choice to make the longest track on the album. There was these odd tuning effects that were going on where, once again, it was sort of warping, sort of like someone's playing with a dial as you're hearing the note. I I, I liked it, but it, after a while, even that got repetitive. Even that felt like it was the same motions over and over again with these warping effects. I, I kind of... I, I really did kind of check out by the end of it. Like... I was expecting an end. And the end that does show up is very abrupt. It's just, boom, there. Okay, let's go on to the next track. It's strange. And this is the first time I didn't really... I, this is the first time I want to point it out. I didn't like that. There are other grooves on this album. Um, I think the, the first one that comes to mind is to actually track two, Zerillion, where he could have done that for seven minutes and I wouldn't have cared because it was just such so great a beat. But I don't know. This one was evading me for some reason. It didn't... It didn't. I, I guess keeping in what the goal of the composer is and to try to put you in a place uh, try to make you see something a visual uh that was my main issue with this is uh, it just didn't happen it was too it was, it was too ubiquitous I don't, I don't know yeah i mean a lot of other tracks in the same way have repeated on themselves or kind of hitched me in a way where i can't picture where i am i think that's where he truly struggles you know this the tracks that really pull me in are the ones where i place myself in a situation within the environment here no, there's just well, no, no, no environment no. there he He's flying towards the ground. He's falling. Yes, so it's going to be a. I guess, but still. No, I know no, not. I definitely. Very abrupt end. I, I understand the artistic point that's going sure. on here. I I I definitely thought that. Obviously, how can you avoid titles on this album? Right, flying sure. towards the ground. Sometimes it's your only clue. Um, and I did get a sense of panic. I think in this track a little bit. Yeah. A little bit, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't. If I hadn't had the title there, I wouldn't have pinned that specifically on yes. airplane panic. You know? and, and more importantly, I don't feel like I'm fall, flying towards the ground. Like, that's what he aims to do. And even if that's what it's meant to represent, I don't feel it. And that's the biggest flaw, I think, based on what I've come to like on the album. There are also vocals here on this. And I, I've come to realize that when it 
every, at every moment on this album, the vocals have done absolutely nothing for me. They've Very rarely. Maybe these... there was one. That one where I said it was coming, it was starting to come across as 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 human, mm-hmm. um, and then it became more human as it goes before then deconstructing again. That was one where I could say, all right, that's an interesting tool. But there were le- many other tracks where they were present, and I, I, did, I just didn't see the purpose. They, they were there as an effect and not much more than that, or that's what it felt like at least. Yeah, and I, I, didn't, I don't feel like they contribute much to the setting either, especially... Yeah. I mean, well, actually, if, if you were hearing vocals in the background during a track called Flying Towards the Ground, you'd think they would sound a lot more panicked as well. Yeah, that's um, true. Otherwise, dead silence. And that technically is the end of the album proper. If you're on Spotify, this might confuse you because Spotify actually doesn't clarify that the last track, track 14, uh, Infst, is actually a digital bonus track. Um, so really, if you consider the whole Flying Towards the Ground thing, I guess... That's a pretty defined ending. It's an odd ending. You just kind of coast for that that outset. But I, I, I'm curious as to why he threw in this digital bonus here. Um, track 14, Infst, which you're pretty Inf- sure is invest, invest without the E. Which which I call Invest. Just go with it. I put a little bit of extra <laughs> emphasis on it. It starts flowing but halting once again. It's that false start idea. A very hollow p- piano strings. I know you, you view them as pipes, but it's a weird sound piece. It's like a two-tone back and forth between the two of them going on. Yeah, but I mean, it has... It lends a little bit to the tribal feel again we got earlier because the boom-boom kind of sound feels like striking a hollow large pipe. Sort of like if you're familiar with the Blue Man Group, the kind of thing they would do in live concert. And I get that kind of effect from this, which grounds this track in a more physical place, which, I mean, also considering how the last track ended suddenly as if you're hitting the ground, how what's more physical than the ground? So, you know, I mean, then we go to this, but I don't know. I feel like as far as art goes, it's loose enough that I don't know that this does or doesn't belong. I just know that it felt kind of ambiguous. Even though it felt more earthy than previous tracks, I didn't really quite know what to do with it. Yeah, we seem to be kind of looping ourselves in terms of the uh, <laughs> ambiguous. It feels, you know, you can't quite pin it down. Yeah. I'm somewhat on the same page with this track. After all, it is a bonus, so I don't want to, like, hold this to such a high caliber. After all, we did have a pretty big discussion, both in episode 179 and uh, last week, about bonus tracks. And last week really uh, took us in a whole nother, nother direction in terms of how we can perceive bonus tracks and their thematic usage. I think uh, this is a little bit looser. We're probably back to the original standard, which is that it's just a bit of an extra, because it's strange to follow up um, flying towards the ground with this. This is... I even had trouble seeing what you saw, Matt, in terms of the, those pipe sounds. I didn't really... I didn't get that sense of place necessarily. Um, later in the track, we do add a constant beat, and there you, you have this, like, piercing synth melody yeah, overhead. Yeah, it's almost like a hi-hat. Yeah, and then after that, it just slowly deteriorates to this, um, this, this slow two-chord structure. You have some vocals there, but even they don't stick around for too long, and then we start building back up again. So it had a weird little inner logic to it, itself, but uh, it didn't really seem to encapsulate anything for the album, that's for sure. Well, it I think it would fit very early on in the album. Like, It does a lot of the things that Butterfly on a Jet did, where it flows and reinvents itself. It just doesn't seem to go the same distance as Butterfly. No, that's fair. And I, I could have seen this as like track two, track three, sort of an introduction to these ideas. I, I don't I just don't see it as a closer to the album and it's it's just too little of of all the challenges that I really love with this album. It felt to me like a filler track for content, not as an outro, but like the kind of track that yeah you could just throw in somewhere in the mix and I don't think would be anywhere near as harsh. But frankly, isn't that most bonus tracks? So eh, 
I guess really the, the, the onus is really on track 13 flying towards the ground. If that's the proper end, then that's kind of the note that I believe he wants to leave us on, which is really morbid. Yeah, well, not yeah, really morbid. Well, you indeed. don't know what happened. There was a there was an end scene. There was a cut. There was no splash or anything like that. We don't we don't know what happened. Maybe. He could be all right. Yeah, maybe he he's all right, right? <laughs> Let us know, <laughs> someone. Huh. This album and I, I I'm the de facto EDM expert here, even though I'm not an expert in any way, shape, or form. Lead us on. I've le- I've listened to the most stuff. This is really interesting pieces because it's not playing around with what a beat can do it's not playing around with what sounds you can make it's playing around with the actual context of said beats of said sounds it's false starts it's uses of silence it's just reimagining through lines with different tones this is very inventive stuff i really am enjoying it it also wears on you after a while because there's only so much you can do if you're going to choose a steady through line for a beat track four sheep had that problem it it relied very heavily on the flow of the rhythm to work everything around it it didn't it didn't really get inventive it didn't really get imaginative the way the other tracks were going and that was that's not to say that that sheep really isn't an enjoyable track. I still like it. I still like grooving along to it, but it's just not wowing me way so much of this actually did wow me. Honestly, Butterfly in a Jet was was I was really stoked to talk about that track. And I was even more enamored with uh, Renaissance Endo. I really really love Renaissance Endo because it feels like frankly he's just he, he hears music in his head and I'm hearing it here and that's something that's very hard to impart from musician to listener there's always something lost in translation that's one of the things we really discuss here you, you don't really know always what the artist is going for but here he's taking just disjointed ideas and marrying them beautifully beautifully together but at the end of the day there's there's nothing that draws this as a solid album to me there's a lot of great music here and i understand why they're all put together that identity with his his instrument the h3000 i hear it because i can hear the the weird tones popping up here and there and i get that but thematically arc wise i don't feel like there's any sort of story for me to latch on to i don't feel like there's there's anything that requires me to listen to this as an album as opposed to individual tracks with a little bit of exception there's a couple of flows through but even then like you can cut off the end of one you don't you don't have to go from piece to piece even if there is a through line they still stand up on their own but uh, that might not be here or there at the end of the day it's really good electronica (laughs) i love it i really do but still it's only it's a solid four it really is a has some great ideas, but it's just a solid four. Um, so it's no secret that as we review more um, EDM and glitch and techno and IDM and, and trance I- and dubstep, because I'm bringing on some dubstep soon and acid techno and, and acid techno, all of this stuff, I find that I struggle with it a little bit, and I don't know that it's just as simple as because there's no lyrics, because I don't believe that, because there are plenty of instrumentals that we've listened to that I've dived into. I'm the word guy, and I love this stuff. Right. So I think it's more for me the fact that 
we and we talked about it earlier a little bit like with Aphex Twin and Square Pusher there are there's a disjointed nature to this kind of music that's just expected and sometimes artistically implemented whereas here with Lord Raja I feel like for the first time I'm getting a sense of this kind of music that I like because there is more through the line and there is more stuff to follow and be and and for me to latch on to that said however building on what John said the cohesion from track to track here, though connected instrumentally, doesn't necessarily hold up. And I feel like this album is a series of vignettes. The overall arc is not there. It's not a full movie. But each song, for the most part, with the exception of two or three that I really couldn't get behind, are such strong places or things or images that I get pulled into the individual scenes. But the overall arc and theme of the full movie of these vignettes just they're not connected super well for me um i think that the intro and the final track if we're saying flying towards the ground is the final track the kind of beautiful almost flying through the air intro to the album and then the harsh impact to the ground end does feel connected but everything else in between does not yeah the middle part sort of muddies it up so but that said it doesn't hurt the record that much because this is the most engaged I've ever been by this kind of music, ever. Um, I've rated pretty highly of some other bands, but I feel like I enjoyed this the most. Um, stuff like Square Pusher and Aphex Twin and... Um, Scale the Summit, Scale the Boards Summit. of Canada. Like, those bands... Scale the Summit and Boards of Canada, I was more engaged because there was more actual instrument instrumentation in those bands. Whereas here, it's clearly electronic. I think for me here, though, um, I got engaged more because there was kind of something pulling me along. Um, but I also agree that there's a skill here that I can't deny, but I just don't feel like it's revolutionizing this genre. Now, I'm not an expert on the genre by any means, but I still feel like none of these sounds or things I've never heard before. You know, it's it's something that's really great and really talented within it. What I will say is a talent, though, that really wants me to push this a little higher is his ability to uncannily draw, draw you into an image that other people will also get drawn into. There were many times where me and Steve both went, oh, this reminds me of this. And we were pretty much on the same page. And with me and Steve especially, but imagery-wise, that doesn't always happen. So I think that's an interesting skill. So for me, you know, I think it's a 4.25. It's not just an even 4. I feel like there's something a little more to it. It's not a 5. It's not a 4.5. I think that there's still enough holes that I, I'm not rating it that high, but I still think it's a great piece of music. Well, I think maybe me and you, Matt, are coming from about the same experience level with Electronica. Granted, I listened to Square Pusher when I was younger, but it was always more of a curiosity to me, and I made that abundantly clear when we reviewed uh, Square Pusher's Damage and Furies in episode 153. This is interesting, because I think that, in some extent, even though we have the same experience with it, I believe that some of these... IDM, Electronica, I'm just going to say Electronica, I'm not going to do a list because of course Electronica covers it all. I think some of these episodes have actually been some of my favorites because there's a sense that when we do them, we get almost to the core of what music is. 
Um, I love uh, albums where, of course, we have lyrics to look at also, and I, I've complete. I've been on board with lyrics ever since the earliest episodes. Yeah, now, you, I think you, you do more lyrics than I do these days. These days, yeah. I mean, like, well, I'm, I have to use both my degrees. I mean, geez, but this is. This is always more interesting because we don't have to use the lyrics as a crutch. Yeah. Lyrics can be a crutch. They tell you what it's about, and then the music just has to kind of generally fit. And so many bands, they kind of get away with that um, because they can just fill the pop structure, and then it's more about what I'm saying and the poetry or non-poetry that's there. But here, it, it's it's all just about the music itself, and electronica excels in this. Sure, you can do it in many instrumentals, many genres, but electronica is so off the wall to most of us and it has such a specific usage partying um revving up for a party all these things surrounding party music not many people really sit back and just take this stuff in um as as a musical experience shut off the lights and boom there you are you and the music i believe it should be that way though i think that it would probably expand our minds to some extent but that doesn't mean that electronic can get away with stuff themselves because it's built around uh taking frankly whatever turn they want there is really no written form for electronic it is, everyone goes in basically saying tabula rasa blank slate just just do just go um every other genre really to some extent is is curtailed by its form electronica has has none of that bullcrap <laughs> but but fr- funnily enough i may have enjoyed some of the other albums that we've done in this department a little a little more than this or if not if not, then I'm making the mistake that I enjoyed our discussions more. Maybe we just didn't quite get to the soul of this. I don't know exactly what it is, but we feel like we were surrounding something here and we just weren't hitting on. For instance, when I look back to Kang Ding Ray's Soul and Zark, oh, what a resounding conclusion we had. Even at times where we could say, okay, maybe I didn't enjoy this like whole, from a holistic musical perspective, I at least... I at least see what he was doing, I at least acknowledge that it was brilliant, and we had the duality of what the artist had in mind already, and his his little album liner notes, along with uh, what we were experiencing simultaneously, it was just a very fluid discussion, I felt. Um, and we experienced similar things in ex- the exploration of Square Pusher's sound art. And maybe we just, we, we ourselves took it a little bit further than we took today. Um, if that's If that's the case, and everyone else feels that we undersold this album, please let us know in the comments section. But I have to go on the discussion, I have to go on the listens that I had, and I just, I wasn't quite there maybe as much as you two were. I'm there in moments, but I'm, I'm, I'm with what John said in the beginning. The cohesion was uh, not tight enough for, for the album perspective. Of course you could take it as vignettes. Vignettes, that goes without saying. I think you're 100% right, Matt. But even some of the vignettes we had we had little issues with. I'm more. This is more of a front-heavy album. I would really, really utilize the first five, six tracks. After that, he starts showing his cards, and then I kind of know what his tracks are about. I, I was I was searching for something new there. To me, that just means the album could have been a little bit tighter in the latter half. I'm putting it at a three point nine, just a little bit below a four, uh, just because I was missing some of those aha moments, which is also the thing that I look to, for for music. I need those moments that will just send sh- shivers down my spine. Instead, it was more. Of an academic curiosity than anything else so just a little below before still many parts of this album that i would absolutely go back to uh, and that takes us to our topic and we're gonna do a little switcheroo today normally of course we got the topic and then we'll close off by a segment that normally has nothing to do with anything we read our fan mail we read our our, our spam because that's what we end up with a lot we don't have fan mail every single week it depends and frankly that's really what this uh this topic is going to be about but it, it has to do with a specific um, 
not fan mail, but, well, comment that we received on our YouTube. And we apologize in advance uh, for anyone who was following us on YouTube, for instance. We've been behind on posting to YouTube due to technical issues, but we'll be back at some point soon. Still, there's a hefty amount of our podcasts that are up there, uh, roughly from episode 50 to 154. Actually, that's not roughly, that's exactly how much are up there. Well, in episode 122, Seeds by TV on the Radio, we did get a comment, and it was, um, somewhat scathing. And this is what we're going to base this discussion off of. You guys are actually the happy idiots, in reference to a track on that album called Happy Idiots. I got that. Tunde and Kip are quoted as saying this is the best album they've ever made, and I understand that because these guys are true artists. Going out on a limb to actually learn something through the process, that hasn't been done. You're too damn analytical. You talk about all these tropes and modes and genres. Too much going on in the album. You pick it apart with your fine-toothed, over-educated white guy comb. You didn't ever just let it sit in and appreciate the beauty of taking things apart and, and presenting the mess itself on an emotional level. I listened to your whole analysis, was relieved when it ended, and am now cranking seeds because it hits every one of my cells in the best possible way, which is, yes, often confusing. Blessedly so. Word. So, my only comment to this comment, and I'm not going to pick him apart, because everyone's entitled to their opinion, and honestly, he was very uh, succinct and adult and and, and educated about it, which Especially for YouTube. Was. Especially for Especially YouTube. Especially for YouTube. <laughs> but this reminds me to um, uh, a, a YouTube channel that I watch a lot called the PBS Idea Channel, and uh, Mike Rugnetta, who hosts... Idea Channel often reads comments on the air mostly to just poke jabs at them when he does comments about how people are saying he's over-analytical or he's thinking too much. Well, then you don't have to think too much, but that's what we do here, and if you don't like it, we completely understand, but that's kind of what we're going for. And that's actually why I kind of forced this topic on us today. I wanted Steve to read this. We actually weren't going to do this, but... The, he, it should be mentioned. This is our, this is our first... I think real piece of uh, I wouldn't even criticism. I, criticism. I wouldn't even call it hate mail. We've no. only received oh, one. No, we've only received one other thing, and frankly, let's just summarize that as a belligerent YouTube comment that you'd expect. That just yeah. about any website out there could expect, and it's got all the cliches in it. And I don't. I didn't lose any sleep over it. But this was. This was a genuine criticism of what we do, and we don't receive that um, too often. But we're also we're also upstarts, so we may expect it more of it. The reason I wanted to talk about this is because, well, this gentleman did actually critique us for doing exactly what we do, being analytical and everything like that, so I guess it's not his cup of tea. But I like these sort of discussions to be spurred by comments like this. I'm not saying be mean to us. I'm Don't give us hate mail. Please don't give us hate mail. Though in secret, I do relish the idea. Instead, what... What this was lacking and what I kind of want from our audience is when you disagree, give us a clearer why. I didn't yeah. get why from here, but I do like the discussion of, oh, you guys were wrong. It shouldn't have been a five. It should have been a two or vice versa. Tell us why at that point. Even the love mail where guys, you guys, a lot of us, the mysterious Mark and everything like that shows up. Yeah. Okay. We appreciate the feedback of, yes, we're doing right. You like it. I like a little more why. I like reasons so that we know where we can hone in on or where we should shy away from. And these things, well, please give us these things. Well, I think it also helps. Like, we have had some listeners who comment on ep on episodes after they've recommended something and say, you know, I love the episode and this, that. I don't agree, though. And then tell us why. Like, um, that Jessica, Jessica Vota told us that she... Um, 
didn't agree with us completely because she thinks she might just be blinded by her fandom for the artist, which is perfectly reasonable. But it's least a why you don't agree, you know? And I think that a comment like this is actually really poignant because it's kind of, he's kind of saying you guys are the blissful idiots because you're overanalyzing it. That's what we want to do. But just the same, that's a good point. Maybe we did miss the point of the record. Maybe what we do was not beneficial to that record. Who knows? But I think that comments like this and and fan, and emails and even fan mails will help. We can only get better. I mean, we could get worse, I guess. But the goal is we can only get better. And this kind of stuff helps to do that. Basically, what 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 it did for me is it it makes you want to look back at at the the mission statement. I suppose it makes you want to look at why we even began this. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to be the first to admit. That when you start off a project like this, which for us now is about upwards of three years ago, um, it will be four, come to think of it, this summer, it, it starts off wholeheartedly admitting as, as more of just a, a mouthpiece for your own personal for your own personal tastes. Yeah, we you want to say you want to you want to say what you like and, yeah. and you want to broadcast it in some sense, and it feels good to I guess argue the point. It, it, it very quickly, after a matter of weeks, didn't become that anymore. Yeah. It, it became something that was that was separate, that was more focused on the discussion than anything. And as John said, I would really, I would really relish uh, spurring any kind of discussion. I think on an album based on the fact that we just spend as long as we do on it. I would like to think that all things considered, the amount of time we spend over the course of the week, the amount of time that we spend here listening to it um, together, having a pre-discussion, and finally the ultimate discussion, that we definitely did give the album at least its due listens, yeah. at least its at least its worth. Um, what you land after that on the actual episode itself in our analysis sort of is what it is. Uh, I, I don't believe we were particularly belligerent in that episode, but I also would have to go back. Occasionally, some, certain things will come out of the, the heat of the moment, and they will sound a little bit off to a listener, and they'll just rub them the wrong way. That's it, it's even that's not really the, the issue, I think. The issue is, are we going to speak our piece to the point where it actually deters someone from, from a particular album, from music? That's not what the point is. No. The point is merely just to say, this is a kind of analysis that I... I that is is appropriate for us. Yeah. You consider your own kind of analysis. What 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 depth do you feel about an artist? And it, and if, for instance, you do feel uh, a certain depth to an artist that you feel we did not convey over the course of these two plus hours, often, then that right there is worth whatever length of comment you choose you choose to impart. This is, like I said, the longest yet in terms of the negative side, and I would like to see longer. Basically, what I'm saying is, and I won't say names. Uh, commenter on Seeds by TV on the radio, bring it on. And I'm not going to even argue the point, but I would like to see a comment board discussion. I would like to see a kind of give and take. Because, of course, that makes me curious about the album, and I might make other people curious about the album, Mm -hmm. just based on the disparity of above YouTube window and mm, somewhat negative comments, although I liked many things about that album, and I stressed that TV on the radio was at one point one of my favorite bands. They'll see that, and then they'll see the disparity of the comment, and it may spur them to follow through. You, now, we already know that YouTube is not the best platform for this, so frankly, I would just prefer that this probably happen more on a, on our own message board, just because it at least will be more consistent. But. Yes, but it's all, important to point out, and it's why I mentioned uh, PBS Idea Channel before, is when those videos started, Mike would just at the end of his video, talk about the comments on the previous video. The comments and discussions got so in-depth and so 
both great with negative and positive comments that interacted that he started doing comment response videos as separate videos to respond to those comments. Because he cultivated a YouTube audience. We have not as yet done that. But I think that what we're looking to do on the comments on the posts on the actual crashcourse.com is a similar kind of interaction. We want a healthy discussion. We, and we would love, I would love to have the burden of doing an episode where all we do is respond to your comments on an episode. I think that would be a lot of fun and just interacting with the discussions would, that, that happen. That, that's one area where really Mike Rugnetta absolutely shines. He will sometimes spend the absolute the last third of, of his YouTube video just commenting on something that he was from a previous video, yeah. some, what someone said. And a little FYI, we weren't the only ones that kind of dislike seats. Uh, if you just go a quick look on Metacritic, a couple of guys gave him 50s, 40s. I mean, we weren't the only ones. Well, that's what I was about to say. <laughs> it made me it made me genuinely curious now, considering that's already more than a year behind us, yeah. um, to go back and, and say, all right, what, what, what else did other people think of this particular album? And I went through a bunch of, you know, short, some of them scathing, some of them glowing reviews from Consequence of Sound, from a variety of sources that... You know, your typical album reviews that usually last about two sentences. Some of them, well, they say their piece. They're maybe even more more negative than we were, but they're only two sentences. I would like to see more. I believe that two sentences, as much as you can pull back and say, ah, that's 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 wonderful piece of brevity right there. How much can you really say? And I think that's that's. I would like to see more discussion taking place. Substance is key, always. So I think our goal here is. Absolutely, we want to discuss this with you. We want to have discussions. We, we'd love to meet any of you in person and have these discussions, of course, over the comment board Maybe as well. Maybe you, but I'm scared of cyber soccer. So if I do have a cyber stalker, I will I'd send pics. My point is is that uh, we would love to be interactive. Steve's made it an art of interacting with commenters on the site. He's much better at it than I am because <laughs> I've just not had the opportunity to respond to all of them. But please keep interacting with us. It's what we live for. It's why we do this. We're not just doing it to hear our own voices. God knows I can't stand their voices anymore. I love I, my voice. I, I really do. I've even been toying with responding to this guy. I've done about three different rewrites because I'm thinking very seriously about what I want to say. On right. one hand, there's some things that I want to defend about the episode. There are other other, other revisions I wrote that were almost completely apologetic about things that I feel we generally got wrong. And so, and we're not perfect. We're humans. We've made that point distinctly. We're just another set of reviewers. It's just, That's why there's three of us here. Yeah. That's a point I actually wanted to make at the very beginning of this discussion. I would never do this um, alone. I would no. never I would never have the, the, the gall to take on a podcast just as the caliber that we do it as a one guy thing. No. That is for people presenting factual information. Like, or interviews. Uh, yeah, or interviews. My, my favorite one guy podcast is, um, I, I forget the name escapes me right now, but it's uh, Hardcore Histories. Because mm -hmm. it's just history. Yeah. So it's like you feel like you're just in a private seminar with a teacher with, who has a, a, a wonderful, um, you know, turn of phrase. Sure. And he's very succinct and walks you through the history of an entire nation, you know, over the course of the podcast. But for something like this, th that would be extremely self-serving to have yeah. only one opinion. Who was going to counter you? Now, I do think that sometimes the three of us, we've been melding a little bit further, and that's something that I also am constantly trying to shift and, and, and keep away from becoming this kind of blur of the three of us that maybe right. is inevitable over the course of four years. We were a little more uh, hot-headed in the beginning. <laughs> a little bit, yes. So please keep reaching out, email, comments, uh, iTunes, Facebook, wherever you want to comment, please do. Um, just get a discussion going. We're on board for that. Um, before we also wrap up and talk about what we're doing next week and the week after, 
Um, I want to announce officially that um, we have hit all of the social media I except Snapchat because I don't understand it. Um, <laughs> nobody does. does. No one get it. Um, I don't have it. I don't get it either, but why? Um, we Crash Chords finally has an Instagram. Um, the reason we didn't for the longest time is mostly because you couldn't, like on Twitter, have multiple accounts locked in at once, so you would have to log in and log out. They've changed that now. So I created a Crash Chords Instagram where I'm slowly posting all of our episodes with the album artwork so you can go back and find the links through uh, Instagram if that's your way. I'm also going to be posting behind the scenes photos, photos from shows that we go to, anything like that. All three of us at some point will be posting stuff there related to music or music interests or our own interests. So check that out. It's the same as our Twitter handle. It's just Crash Chords Web. So go ahead and give us a follow and stay up to date on all our visual postings. Um, Next, on to next week. This is one of the first times in a while, if ever, that we know in advance we will not be recording next week. Um, I have to be out of town for a new job, and so the night we normally record and our makeup nights subsequent, I will not be in town. So we will not be recording. Um, but it is the time that we would normally have our guest. Thankfully, last month our guest was delayed a week. So this month, the guest being delayed a week, we're still kind of on the same time frame. Yep. Um, our guest for the month of February, who will, which will be posting the first week of March, is the burlesque icon Nasty Canasta. I've been working with Nasty a long time. We have a lot of inside jokes related to music, mostly older music. Um, but she will be joining us, and she will be bringing Die Antwoord's newest record, Donker Mag. That's D-O-N-K-E-R and then M-A-G. Um, they're a hip-hop group that I've heard of sort of in the background, but I'm not familiar with. Nasty's a big fan of theirs, so she will be bringing that record to us. I'm excited to have her on the show. Um, it should be a lot of fun. So check that out, and remember, as always, music is life. And, and life, life is, is good. good. If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one -on -one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.